What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey guys, I'm Kaylee Shore, and this is Too Much To Say. Alright, well this is part three of True Crime Christmas and we're going to be talking about the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. It is a fascinating topic. Um, It is also very graphic. There's going to be um, some content that covers child abuse and um, um, different sorts of like, you know, rape, abuse, whatever. Um, Lots of that. So if that's not for you, that's totally fine. Just skip right over this episode and we'll see you next week. The thing about this topic is it's about a um a phenomenon that happened in the 80s and 90s and there were 12,000 different claims surrounding the satanic panic in a pretty short period of time and every single one of them was found to be unsubstantiated and um cults exist and child abuse absolutely exists but it's really not, it's not some stranger in a cloak doing it. It's someone's family member. Um, there's some pretty crazy statistics on, on what child abuse actually looks like. And I think that people kind of use the satanic panic as a way to convince themselves that the, the enemy isn't, um, isn't in at home. It's this, you know, otherworldly satanic figure. And it's like, no, it's your nephew, you know? Um, so, we have a natural proclivity for scary stories and and mysteries and um, maybe it's part of every human's brain, but this got so fucking out of control. Your mind's about to be blown. If you've never heard of the satanic panic. So there's a lot of different things that led up to the start of the satanic panic. So it was definitely sort of a snowball effect, but the culture that was created by a few particular events, um, 
are what set the scene for the satanic panic to become as huge as it did. Uh, a couple just factors were there's the appearance of the child abuse industry. So, um, different treatment centers and psychologists, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder was first being named. And these are all very, very real things. Um, and then there was a change in home life around that time because that was when the latchkey kid generation was starting when both moms and dads were working and daycare, like kids had never been in daycare to that extent before. So there was a lot of kids under the care of strangers. And, um, so in the late 1960s, there was the Charles Manson murders, which shocked the country and were absolutely just like fucking evil and horrible and cult-like and, you know, had all the elements of a very dark true crime. Um, around the same time, there was a publication of the Satanic Bible, which I'm not, I'm not sticking up for Satan in this episode, and I need to make that very clear, but... Just factually, the Satanic Bible is basically just like regurgitated Ayn Ayn Rand. It's not like talking about Lucifer. It's rather bizarre. I mean, it's not good. It's just totally recycling other ideas of writers. And it's just like, it's not talking about Lucifer. So it makes no sense. And honestly, Anton LaVey or whoever, um, I think that's how you say his name, who wrote the Satanic Bible, like, it's just like, homie, you literally just regurgitated a bunch of people's ideas and then called it Satanist because it was spicy. So, um, but people didn't need to read it because churches heard satanic Bible and just went into freak out mode. Cause why would you, uh, why would you read what's in the book when you could just judge it by its cover? Um, and pretty soon after that, so 1971, the exorcist book, which was based on a true story came out. And in 1973, there was the movie. And, um, a lot of that has been, disproven and discredited and whatever, but that definitely created this culture. Like the Ouija board had just been something like, like a parlor game before then. And then after the exorcist, it was like this very dark thing and people were, you know, just thinking about demons a lot. Um, and then next, uh, the same year as the exorcist movie came out, there was a guy named, um, Mike Warnke. And he wrote a book called Satan Seller. Uh, this has been completely discredited. Like absolutely everything has been discredited. But he's a self-proclaimed Christian evangelist and Christian comedian. Um, he wrote in his book, Satan Seller, it was about a, a childhood of intense satanic worship. Um, he claims that he was a satanic high priest and was involved in many uh, satanic rituals, including ritualistic sex orgies, killing babies, et cetera, et cetera. He had a very bizarre comedy bit that I watched. Also, I researched this shit extensively, and so I have a ton of links. Um, I really don't want to spread any misinformation on this because the whole point is that it's misinformation. So during my extensive research doing this, I watched one of his comedy segments, and it was like, (laughs) he was like doing a it was the seventies and this guy's just like, looks like such a doofus. And he's talking about, well, you know, if, uh, if nothing sticks to Teflon, then how does Teflon stick to the pan? And then all of a sudden he's like talking about some little girl getting dismembered and her, um, reproductive organs being taken out while she was still living. And there was like no segue. He just immediately went into this thing about Satan. And I was like, this is the most bizarre comedy routine I've ever seen in my life. Um, 
and he was featured. The Satan Seller book was on Oprah, Larry King, 2020. I mean, it was everywhere. And it became like just people just believed it. And then Cornerstone Magazine, which is actually something I read growing up in the church, they're like a super like conservative Christian publication, and they were the ones who discredited him. So if somebody who's completely on your side and is like, yo, fuck Satan, like, let's take him down. If they're like, you're lying, like, probably lying. So there was a 12 page article and it was all based on interviews with an estimated 100 people connected with Mike Warnke and includes 170 footnotes. So this is fucking thorough. And it basically just paints him as this very dramatic storyteller, super theatrical. And he just turned, um, the fact that he, got into Satanism in his, um, as an adult, like he just turned that into this like victim story and a best-selling book. So acquaintances and friends of him all said that he's just like lied. And I mean, his family laughed at the idea when Cornerstone, um, he, he claimed to have lived in a witch's coven with 1,500 people. And it's like, you can't really hide 1,500 people. And that's going to be the recurring theme in this is just the sheer amount of numbers we're talking about. And it's like, you can't hide 1,500 people in a city. You just simply cannot. So he just made up this stuff and his family was like, yeah, no, we have no idea what you're talking about. And he was like a very pious Christian, like really judgy and and just like talked about sin and whatever. Um, Meanwhile, he had tons of extramarital affairs and he had three divorces. So do as he say, not do as he says, not as he does. Uh, He married his fourth wife right after his third divorce. And then months after he married his fourth wife, he wrote a book called Recovering from Divorce. And it was written with his third wife, Rose just bizarre. Like this man is just complicated. And, um, he, one of the biggest things that got disproven was not only interviewing a hundred people who knew him, but just like factual impossibilities. So he told this one story all the time at his sermons and his comedy concerts, whatever. And, um, in his book, he talked about how Charles Manson went to one of his blood soaked sacrificial rituals in 1966. And he would talk about this all the time because he was like, this is where I came from. And if I can make it out of this, like Charles Manson blood soaked, blah, 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 then you can too. And just created this fictitious story because nobody bothered to check that Manson was very busy that year doing um, his second term in the Terminal Island Federal Correctional Institution because he violated parole. So this was before Google. So apparently Mike Warnke was like, oh, I just, nobody's going to check. So da, da, da. fuck that guy. So it literally just like lying out the ass. None of it was true. And the more I'm trying to do some really brief recounts of this, but I mean, there's a million examples of how what he did was completely just, it just couldn't have happened. And speaking of things that didn't happen in 1980, we have the final, um, kind of like found this is the final brick laid in the foundation to let the the satanic panic just blow up and rock music was getting very dark and there were pentagrams and stuff at this time and so it, the culture was giving people a lot to go off of as far as satanism being this huge rampant underground thing um but michelle smith this lady 
And the thing about this is we're talking about some very mentally ill people because in order to create stories like this, you have to be either abused and manipulated by somebody else to do it or just really delusional. I mean, these aren't healthy people that we're going to be talking about in this episode. So Michelle Smith had a lot of um, trauma and was going to therapy and she did hypnotherapy, which um, is widely you know, debated uh, as if it's legitimate or not. I did um, hypnotherapy one time and I found it to be really beneficial, but I didn't like uncover the fact that I was in a Satan cult for 10 years and suddenly didn't remember until I was 27. It's just like you, you've just kind of get to be alone with your thoughts. So that's what hypnotherapy is. Anyway, so Michelle fucking Smith sees a bunch of spiders crawling out of her arms and she's seeing this guy named Dr. Pazder. And Dr. Pazder is obnoxious. This man is just unbearable to even read about, much less sit across a table from. So she's talking about spiders crawling out of her arms and he's like, oh no, something's gone really wrong with you. We should do a lot more hypnotherapy. So they keep doing this and and her claims keep getting more and more outlandish. Um, she said like all of these things that there were babies killed and um, she said that there were like thousands of people in this cult and every member was required to remove their middle finger. And so she's talking about like thousands of people wandering around Victoria, British Columbia that were missing a middle finger. Like what, this is a small town, like in the grand scheme of things. Like even if you were in New York city and you saw like 1500 people walking around without a middle finger, wouldn't you notice like it would be a thing. And so it just, there was all these weird, bizarre, like, I mean, she's talking about, there's a really big focus in this entire satanic panic of babies being eaten and killed. And, um, it's like nobody bothered to like question why thousands of babies went missing. And it wasn't like a pandemic, of missing children. They were like, they're getting stolen out of hospitals. And it's like, really? Cause no hospitals in the area have reported a stolen child for about 25 years. So no idea what you're talking about. So she's going on and on about dead babies and spiders and being, you know, there's lots of rape, which is not what I want to get into, but all of these stories involve like very weird, bloody goat fucking rapes. So that's just all I'm going to say about that. Um, so, uh, Dr. Pastor does everything he can to corroborate them like to her, like there's no evidence, but he's really egging her on in this. Um, so they spend more and more time together and they were both married. Um, but it was like, well, she needs more therapy because this is going on and we just uncovered this. And now we learn that she was pregnant and was forced to eat her own baby. And so now we really need to focus on that. Meanwhile, Dr. Pastor and Michelle Smith are fucking and, um, lying to their spouses about it under the guise of the fact that he needs to treat her more. So red flag number 12 there, guys. Um, he sent, uh, he sent Michelle Smith to a doctor for medical examination to corroborate her tales of constant abuse. And I mean, she's talking about like being branded and, and having like, like just slashed and how she would have had all these scars and the only thing a doctor could find was that she likely banged a tooth as a child. There's no, there's no like scars anywhere. And she had this one, um, rash and she said that it was caused by the tail of Satan. And it actually was 
found by a dermatologist to be like a poison ivy, poison oak reaction. And she was using a specific brand of soap called Life Buoy. And it was aggravating it. So like the rash never went away because she'd been using the soap on it. And but but nope, tail of Satan, tail of Satan, not just cheap soap. So this is where they get really opportunistic. So, so far, there's nobody else who's been able to corroborate this. No one in her family. Um, I mean, she wrote all this horrible stuff about her mother being the one who brought her into the cult. And like her dad is like, I don't know how anybody could say this about their dead mother who never did anything to them. And she just got so swept up in this. Um, there's no records or press reports from the era that she said that she said she was in this cult for like 10 years. There's no records or press reports to describe any missing persons or stolen babies matching the description of the purported victims. So it's a super detailed book and there's, you just can't cover up thousands of missing babies. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. And, um, so they're like, oh my God, we should write a book. And so Dr. Pazder gets a million dollar advance to write a book about it. A million dollars in um, 2021, like equivalent. And they're just right. It's called Michelle Remembers. And it's really dramatic. There was um, a movie and it's been completely disproven. Like it is now completely discredited. It's actually like, I mean, you can find it, but it's not sold by anywhere reputable because it is just absolute fucking garbage. Um, it's just a, a whole thing. But so Michelle Remembers really, really gave people something to go off of, especially because this took place in Canada. So we're going to be talking about a lot of Canadian stuff coming up on part two of um, Satanic Panic. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Okay, so that all brings us to Saskatoon in 1987. Uh, It's been a slow build, but the world is ready to satanic panic. Uh, Okay, so we have these kids who were taken away from their parents. Um, Their names are Michael, Kathy, and Michelle. And Kathy and Michelle are twins. Michael's their older brother. Uh, They're all under the age of 10. They go to see a psychiatrist um, after they are in school and Michael does some really bizarre sexual acts sort of mimicking things in class. And the teachers are like, something's wrong with these kids. Like Michael's like reenacting sex and he's super young and it's like very inappropriate. I think he might be like seven years old at this point. Um, so they go to see a psychiatrist. The parents like wrote, like they, they wrote a letter home and, um, they, after seeing the psychiatrist get very, um, Michael really leads the, the charge on this and has his little sisters like get on board with what he's doing. But by the end of these therapy sessions after a while, which they were using a lot of, um, a lot of leading questions, which is going to be a recurring theme in all of these stories is both, um, psychiatrists, social workers, and, um, and then also police officers and detectives and parents all asking questions that do not, the kids can't answer truthfully. And, and the whole problem here is everybody was like, believe the children. And that sounds like something we should do. Right. But, but little kids lie. And so he's, um, the, the kids end up accusing their parents, uh, both their mother and father, their mother's new partner, um, who later completed a lie detector test that demonstrated evidence that he was completely evident, um, innocent. Um, they accuse both foster parents and then several of the foster parents' relatives, including both sets of in-laws and the male foster parents' brother. Um, the allegations included... The, um, the the adults had cut the children with knives, had forced the children to participate in orgies, have sex with dogs and flying bat-like creatures, consume blood, urine, and feces, and eat the eyeballs and flesh of roasted babies and other satanic rituals. So they're just accusing everybody left and right. And then it comes out um, after some time that Michael had been sexually abusing his little sisters from a very young age. And um, a lot of this... Uh, a lot of the stuff was probably initially rooted in truth because 
kids who are abused don't know how to articulate it properly. And, um, you know, it feels like a big, scary monster to them. So they talk about big, scary monsters, but yeah, that ended up, all the charges were dropped. It was just really crazy. But you're, you're probably wondering too, what, what do the accusers think in this? And, um, the very devout Christian, uh, time that was happening post like all of this Satan stuff that had them on high alert. Um, there's this man named Paul Ingram in Washington and he had two daughters and basically one, um, she was at summer camp and there was this, um, like leader there who was doing a speech and they would say things like all the, all the kids would be like, have their heads bowed and it would be like, I see somebody in here who's been raped by their father and some girl would run out screaming. And I see some girl who has engaged in homosexual acts and some girl would run out crying. And then it would be like, I see somebody who's blah, 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 like killed an animal, all these things. And, um, it would, it was really distressing to the kids. And I never dealt with anything to that extent, but knowing what it's like, you can be so easily manipulated in a group of people in like, a a young youth group, Christian setting. And to that extent, it's, it's very scary. So, um, one of these girls, uh, one of the Ingram daughters says like, she just had a feeling that, that she had been part of a satanic ritual and she had been in a satanic cult and she just had this quote unquote feeling. And it happened right after this thing happened at summer camp. So he's accused by his two daughters, uh, cause the other one starts saying the same thing of satanic ritual abuse. Um, he's devoutly religious and this could never happen now, but during his questioning, his pastor was present and they would not let these people go until they got a confession, which is like, okay, yeah, I understand that tactic. However, what do you do if the person's innocent? Cause you keep asking them over and over and over and over again, but if they didn't do it, their answer is not going to change. And the pastor's there and he's like, you got to do this. Like you've been possessed by Satan. Like you, you wouldn't remember it if you had, but the pastor's like telling him he did this. And so at this point in, in the total and like throughout the whole thing, there is no evidence. There's no, um, nobody had said like they, nobody had seen them. It was just the two, and that's the hard thing too. It's like it was with abuse. There's very rarely evidence, but like there's no medical evidence that any like hymens had been broken or any scars or bruises or any sort of abuse had happened to these kids. But the pastor told him to confess, and so he was devoutly religious. And he was like, Paul Ingram was like, "Well, fuck, I'm, I'm I guess I was influenced by Satan, and I repressed all the memories of what I'd done." And he pleaded guilty. Um, because he felt like it was the right Christian thing to do. And then after he pleaded guilty, he was like, holy shit, um, none of this happened. He retracted his confession um, because he began to drop the truth of the accusations. And it's just really, really sad how that played out. Um, then next up in 1990, we have a very, very famous case of exoneration about the West Memphis Three. So the West Memphis Three were a bunch of kind of like weirdo goth teenage kids in West Memphis, Arkansas. And they uh, were accused of murdering these three little boys, um, finding them at a park. And when the three children were f- bodies were found, they were at the bottom of a river. They'd been tied uh, with so that they wouldn't rise to the top. And they were missing um, like their, their genitals and a lot of, 
it was just they'd clearly been in really rough shape and clearly intentionally murdered. Um, another thing about mutilations is it's hard to say because a lot of things missing on a human body when it's found could be from an animal eating it, which is gross. Um, but it's really, really hard to say. But there's no evidence that these boys have anything to do with anything except they were asking families on like that street and they were like, well, there's these three kids who are really into Satan and it's just, it's really, really bad. And I don't know, I just, I never trusted them. Meanwhile, there's like really, really solid evidence for two other suspects, one of them being the stepfather who actually sued Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks for um, uh, defamation because she had advocated for the exoneration of the West Memphis Three and been like, maybe he did it. And then the judge was like, no, and you need to pay all her legal fees because it's embarrassing because you didn't have to interact with the public opinion of what happened in the case. But he, his semen was found on one of the children's um, pants later after they'd already arrested and, and imprisoned the West Memphis three and nobody, and they just didn't investigate that the, why there was step stepdad semen on the kids pants. Um, and then one of the most compelling theories in this is there was a bloody man in a Bojangles fast food restaurant. Um, this Bojangles employee sees this man come in and he's bleeding and he's covered in blood and he goes into the women's restroom and he's, freaking out and they were like oh this is so weird we should call the police something bad happened here so then the victim's bodies were found and the manager um called immediately after and said hey this might be connected to the bloody man found in the bathroom because we're only a mile away from where the bodies were found so he calls the police and they inspected the ladies room um the manager gave the officers a pair of sunglasses he thought the man had left behind, and they took some blood samples from the walls and tiles of the restroom. So they had evidence that they could have done forensic DNA testing on. This was 1990. They had the ability. And um, the police detective who was in charge of the case ended up testifying that he just misplaced and lost those blood scrapings. Uh, later on, Again, after the West Memphis Three were already like the primary suspects, a hair identified as belonging to a black male was later recovered from a sheet wrapped around one of the victims. And um, the man in the Bojangles was black. The West Memphis Three were all white. It's just, why did they not investigate either the semen or the, the bloody man a mile away from the children? I mean, it's just, but let's just accuse these three teenagers because they have... Like they like metal music, like for sure. But they ended up getting released in 2011 after spending 18 years in prison and they got locked up as teenagers. So they just like wake up and they're almost like 40 and have their entire lives taken away because of a miscarriage of justice. And there's the thing about all these is when you arrest the wrong person, I mean, you have, you have a, a murderer on the loose who's been on, who's been on the loose since 1990 and God knows what else they've done. So as this is starting to happen, the ritual abuse thing didn't end up being the biggest part of the West Memphis three story that we know now, but the, the only reason those boys were accused is because they, people thought they were involved in satanic things because of rock music. So that brings a lot of things to, it's a very big story. brings a lot of things to the forefront. People are referencing the Saskatchewan case. There's a lot of different ritualistic abuse accusations happening, happening, but uh, Utah in 
um, in particular, they started the Utah Task Force on Ritual Abuse also in 1990, same year as the West Memphis Three. And they did a uh, survey and 90% of Utah citizens believed that ritual abuse existed and 68% wanted government funding increased. There was one case that was credible. It was called the Zion Society case. And it was a, a cult run by Arvind Shreve. It had a hundred people in it and there were all these really fucked up things, but it wasn't Satanism. It wasn't ritualistic abuse. And we can't confuse a cult with what they're talking about. Cause the ritualistic satanic abuse is specifically referring to a, an underground network of all these different groups that like, this is the whole point and they have police officers involved and they have all these different people involved. And, um, there's just a difference between a hundred person cult and then what they're talking about. Then the hundred person cult was really, really fucked up, but it did not have to do with the ritualistic abuse that they were saying was happening in Saskatchewan and et cetera. Um, they were talking about different things. Um, in this paper, I read, it was, I read the actual like police report that went out to educate people for the Utah task force on ritual abuse. Um, they talked about animal mutilation and, animals eating other animals and being forced to eat babies and using hypnosis. And, and this was all in a police report and they were talking about this, like it was all facts, but there was, I mean, animal, animals eat other animals too. Like I don't, uh, animal mutilation is a really interesting part of this as well, because people would find a mutilated cow's body and say it was Satanist when really it was probably a coyote. Um, I, I don't, it's just there's a there's a big disconnect between logic and what they're saying. So, um, I so that's 1990. Things are heating up. This is where it gets really really crazy. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Martinsville, which is one of the most out of control stories to tell you exactly how bad the satanic panic is. If you're not on board by this point, you're like, well, maybe it happened. This will uh, this one will get you. So we'll be right back. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. So Martinsville is also in Canada and it's very close to Saskatchewan. That's like the largest nearby city. The Saskatchewan police would come in um, if there was a large case in Martinsville and the uh, three children who, um, M- Michael, Kathy and Michelle, who had been abused, that was in 1987. So this is five years later. So the community knew, knew about the ritualistic abuse concept from that. It was really close to the community and, um, it had been disproven, but this just gets crazy. So a Martinsville mother, uh, who was a nurse noticed some redness and broken skin on her two and a half year old. Um, on her bottom and it most likely, uh, was diaper rash, but the mom, um, really thought it was something more and she's a nurse. So she asked the two and a half year old about it. And the two and a half year old says, a stranger has been poking me with a pink rope. And, uh, the mom asked her more like where the stranger lives. And she says she lives at Linda's, which is her daycare provider's house. So they take the child to a doctor And the doctor says there's absolutely zero signs of abuse on her. Like, don't worry about it. It's probably just a diaper rash and she's, who knows what a pink rope is. Um, But the parents say that they think that she was sexually assaulted by the daycare provider's son. So uh, we have Linda Sterling and her son, Travis. So um, Travis did have a prior investigation of child molestation that had gotten lost because of Martinsville police department was an absolute nightmare which we'll learn more about um so but that also like was a rumor within the community and so like i I just think that i mean it's hard because if you're if your kid's telling you something like that you're gonna freak the fuck out and you're gonna want to believe them but it's a two and a half year old I just watched a video of a little kid who said that he wanted to watch a Komodo dragon eat a human because he thought Komodo dragons were cool. He has no idea the consequences of, of that and no idea what violence really is. So it just ends up spiraling out of control. And at first the children say nothing bad had happened. They question every single kid at the daycare. And this is what's bad is they didn't just say, Hey, do you need to tell me anything about somebody at daycare? Or is like anybody, um, made you feel uncomfortable or is, has anybody hurt you? Um, they say like, well, some, somebody has been hurting you. Right. And, and, and they, did they, did they touch you here? Did they, 
do this. Like the dolls that they used to say, like point to where they hurt you. Those don't work at all because kids don't know. They're very confused. I mean, imagine how confused you would have been as a kid. And they just kept questioning their kids because they, they didn't want to accept no for an answer. Not because they wanted their kids to have it be abused, but they wanted to stop it. And so they're like, well, the kids aren't, but the, and the whole slogan was believe the children, but they didn't because the children said nothing happened. Um, so a pattern begins to emerge. These, uh, the first kid says he was forced to perform a sexual act at gunpoint, take off his clothes, and he was photographed. Uh, then the children's accountings took a hard turn. An important thing to note as well is all the parents are talking to each other. So they're saying, oh my God, well, he said this and he said this. And so then the parents going, did somebody hold a gun to you? Did somebody like make you take photographs and take your clothes off? And then kids who are just want to go outside and play and have their parents leave them alone. They're like, yeah, somebody did. And they don't understand. They have no idea. We're talking about like four year olds here. So then it takes a hard turn. Um, one kid starts talking about a blue quote unquote devil church outside of town where they were taken. Uh, they were forced to drink blood and injected with drugs. They were tortured and made to perform sex acts on adults and on each other. And then they said that police had been involved in it. And this was after hours of questioning these kids because now, now the police are involved on the investigative side. And there was a, um, a big seminar that had happened around the same time with a pastor coming into town to talk about satanic ritual abuse and educate people and talk to the police and talk to these parents. So these parents are on very, very high alert. And then to add to the fire, there's a local pastor who sends an urgent memo to the Martinsville municipal police department. And he said, there's an invasion. Um, you need to be on high alert. There's going to be chaos. Uh, and this is a direct quote from a police report says the indications were that tonight was a very important night with the occult and the preparation of potential victims reads the report dated April 16th, 1992. The group in town is known as the brotherhood of the Ram with the Ram being a reference to Satan. Nothing ever happens. They like have police everywhere. They are ready for like this influx of like hundreds of, of robed Satanist people and just nothing, nothing happens. They said they're going to burn down our churches and it was this very like, grandiose good versus evil final battle thing and it's like out of the book of revelation nothing happens um the police find the devil church it took a long time for them to find it because it kids were just saying it was like this blue house but um they no nobody could like say where it was and they were like looking for all these blue buildings and then they find one it's like a shed it's a large shed structure in the back of somebody's house who had nothing to do with any of this and they take pictures of it and they show it to the kids and then that's when kids start talking about the house more. And then all of the kids do. And they're like, oh, yeah, that is where it happened. That's so you showed me that. Um, so they search the shed multiple times. There's no human hair. There's no sperm. There's no blood. And they're talking about like goats being bled out on the floor and, and children being slashed and babies being murdered. Like you can't. It, it was such a small space. Like you couldn't do all that. And the guy who lived in the like front of the house was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he had nothing to do with it. And he was like, there's no way people could have gotten in my shed without me knowing like, cause it, the kids were like, he was not the a suspect in it. Like he had no idea what was going on. And then kids start talking about being held in a chicken cage, um, seeing an ax and, and being hit with an ax and being locked in a freezer. Um, 
you, if, if a child had been hit with an ax anywhere, even lightly, you would see it. And it's super important to note that none of these children had bruises or scars or cuts or any injuries aside from the diaper rash. Um, and the chicken cage that the kids said they had been in, these were all, these weren't things that they said before they saw pictures. These were all things that were in the shed. They were shown pictures and they were like, oh yeah. And then he put me in a chicken cage and I was in there with three other children and the chicken cage couldn't have even supported, like it couldn't have fit a child. There were like maybe two, like two chickens you could fit in this chicken cage that was suspended. Like it would have fallen under the weight. Like it was just physically impossible. Um, so at the end of all of this, nine people, uh, the Sterling family, so both Linda, Travis, and then her husband, one young person who's protected by a Canadian act that, uh, doesn't release the names of young, um, offenders and thank God cause she was cleared. But, um, so Sterling family, one young person and five police officers, including two former police chiefs and collectively they were facing 180 charges. They didn't have any preliminary hearings. They went straight to trial, which was a very rare move, um, but they were doing it to minimize trauma to the children and keep it like they had the kids in another room and really just wanted to protect the kids because they had been severely abused, um, which is exactly how you should handle a case when a child's been abused is like not drag them through it again. And, you know, people are still operating under the... they People completely believe this happened, like nobody, people may, might be exaggerating, but then they start to just believe everything that they're hearing. So I don't really think anybody thought they were lying. And that's what's so scary about this. So um, all of these cases hinged only on the testimony of the children. No physical evidence of any of the nine people who were accused was ever found. So no, no semen on children's clothes, no blood in the shed, no blood of on the children's clothes, like no DNA, no nothing, nothing in the, in the daycare that showed that something could have happened. And they're talking about such a large scale operation with, I mean, they're talking about babies being killed and like hundreds of hundreds of, of murders would have occurred. And it's a small town. You can't a hundred people can't go missing from a town of 3000 and nobody notices. That's that's a very large percentage of the population. So um, there was a police officer named John Popowich who had barely ever been to Martinsville. I mean, supposedly he'd only ever gotten a, a soda from a gas station, but he worked at, for the Saskatchewan police and he heard that this was happening because they were sending in reinforcements and he was like, what the fuck is this? And he said something like, have we really investigated this well enough? Because this all looks kind of weird. And then when police officers started to get accused by the kids, not specific ones, they just said somebody in a uniform is hurting me. Um, they were like, well, John was trying to say it didn't happen. And so then all of a sudden he's a suspect. And then all of a sudden he's on trial as part of the 180 charges that these people have against them. So he was picked out of a lineup um, as well. Cause they put together a lineup with like some of the police suspects and random people and a little kid points to him and goes, that's him right there. That's who hurt me. And then at the trial, this is like when they do actually involve the children. Um, they do another lineup and John Popovich is in there dressed totally normal. And he goes, I don't see him. I don't see him here. And John's like, okay. So then they end up doing another lineup, adding more people. And, uh, 
the this kid goes and he says um he's pushed harder on the lineup and he says well i think i sort of recognize the guy in the purple tie and maybe that's him and the judge goes why did you pick out number seven and the kid direct quote said i like his tie this is a small small child who has no idea what's going on and they were like well why did you and that this person was not part of the accused was not anywhere near this situation he they just pointed to this guy because he liked his purple tie and that's so fucking heartbreaking because this kid is being dragged through this and and being forced to like even talk about these horrible things and the fact that they didn't happen and all these kids were sitting around like talking about eating babies and and having to rape each other and stuff it's just so fucking crazy and so traumatic for these kids like these kids are so traumatized anyways because of this trauma that didn't happen and i just can't believe it got so out of control so um after the children failed to identify uh, Officer Popovich in a live lineup in court. The judge told him he'd been mistakenly identified and prosecutors stayed the charges, which means that they just kind of stopped them, but he wasn't cleared. Um, he eventually, everybody was um, cleared of their offenses and some people did go to jail. Um, everyone was cleared except Travis, uh, the Sterling's son, who had the one investigation of molestation um chances of him doing something were very high there still wasn't any physical evidence of this situation but like he whatever um but they um he had so officer Popovich eventually settled for 1.3 million in a malicious prosecution uh, suit others were also compensated including linda and ron sterling um but john Popovich was the only person who ever got a formal apology from the government for what he was put through but i mean these people were imprisoned for years and years so the thing about the children victims is they were victims to this madness that ensued. And many of them have gone on to recant their testimonies and try to help the accused get exonerated, try to tell people, I mean, there, there's been the Michael and Michelle and Kelly, the siblings all ended up being like, yeah, no, we lied. And kids kids lie. I mean, and they're, they're kids. Like they don't have fully developed brains. You don't get one until you're 25. Like you have no idea what you're doing. You don't know that you're condemning someone to die. A little kid with a Komodo dragon doesn't know that he's that like, he just is like, Oh, eating a people and doesn't get it. Cause it's just a concept in his head. And so, um, there was this one girl who, got taken away from her dad because he was under suspicion of being part of one of these um, satanic panics. Also, I mean, there were, I mean, 12,000 of these claims. And I'm only talking about Martinsville. This was not isolated. There was one in Kern County. Um, there was some in Ohio. I, I mean, they were everywhere. They were literally everywhere. There were a ton in Utah, enough that they had a task force. 12,000 claims and not a single shred of evidence to back it up. It's just from a percentage standpoint, like you just don't, that doesn't happen. Especially because the kids were talking about things that had happened recently in real time. A lot of these were like, oh, I remembered this thing from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And it's like, okay, like finding evidence of that would be hard. But then you have Michelle remembers who doesn't remember shit actually. And all of her stuff was like literally impossible. 
Um, so the children are so victimized. And this one girl whose dad was part of the accused, um, she was taken away from her dad and by a social worker had to go to foster care for a night. And then the next morning, her grandmother and her aunt pick her up. Her dad was a single dad and the girl was terrified to be in this foster. She had no idea what's going on. She was like, why am I being taken away from my daddy? I don't know what what's happening. I don't understand at all. And she thought she was never, ever going to see her father ever again. So he ends up getting completely cleared of the charges. But this woman was talking in an interview about how hard it was because her, he was a single father and he'd always been like a great dad and he was affectionate and he'd hug her a lot and like she didn't have a mom and that's really important for kids to have like physical touch and he was so horrified by what they said that he'd done to his daughter which was really graphic and just of the same nature as all this stuff like you know had had raped her and made her eat a baby and shit um and he was so scared and, and horrified of these accusations that he like never touched her again. And she said that her dad stopped hugging her and, and just never, never started again. Cause he was so just fucking sad. And, um, yeah. And then like people at her school knew and would bully her and say that her dad had done this. And like, they questioned the kids repeatedly over and over and over again. And this one um, detective was like, okay, well, you need to be careful in how you talk to the kids. Uh, parents were told to only ask open-ended and neutral questions. And that's a really hard thing to do if you're worried that your kid's been abused. So, like, I want to give people credit here. I'm not, there's no villain in this story. That's what's so scary is it's literally psychology. So the parents don't do that. Um, and this is where the coercion comes in. And this is like probably the closest thing to a villain is the detectives who just completely just fucked up everything and, and therapists. So, um, in some of these instances, they were told that they could go play, but only after they told police what happened. And the kids are like, well, nothing happened. And they're like, well, you need to tell me what happened. And did they touch you? Did they blah, 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 blah. And they're like, um, yeah, okay, can I go play now? And they, they don't know. They're like four and five years old. These are daycare age kids. Like Martinsville wasn't even school age kids. School age kids get it, ended up getting involved because of how much it spiraled. But the beginning, we're talking about three-year-olds. How do you interview a three-year-old? Especially if you're telling them that they can go play if they do this one thing. So um, another one was like kids were frequently com complimented for their bravery after alleging abuse. So they were like lots of positive reinforcement. They'd be like, you're so brave. You're such a good boy. Thank you for telling us this. And so then that's when it would get crazier and crazier because the kids realized that the more they did this thing, they got validation and positive reinforcement and they were taught that it was a good thing. And that's how you go from he poked me with a pink rope to he made me eat a baby he made me, there was like things about like kids and like being put in, um, in shark in, a being put in aquariums with sharks that ate babies. And it's just so bizarre. But, um, another thing that they were like used, they were promised coloring books. And one kid was, uh, said that, if he told his story, then he'd get to go pet the police dog. And you're talking about kids. Like, they don't know. They have no idea what's going on. Um, and, you know, this was hard because of the appearance of the child abuse industry and PTSD happening. Like, 
all of these new mental things are coming to light. And then there were like these, these book, books and movies like Sybil about um, what used to be called multiple personality disorder. And now it's called dissociative identity disorder. Um, that's a very uh, hot topic and it's frequently misunderstood. So a lot of the people claiming to have that when all of this was going on, they were like, you know, usually bringing in satanic ritual abuse into it. And then, um, but it just, they, they didn't actually have the disease because they didn't describe it the way that somebody who actually does would. Um, so the thing about it is these kids, if they were getting abused, it wasn't a hooded cloaked figure. It's somebody close to home. And, um, the Department of Justice says that 90% of child sexual abuse victims know the perpetrator in some way. Um, and do something.org said in 2018, 76% of child abuse perpetrators were a parent to their victim. 76%. And um, most of these people being accused were teachers and police officers and daycare workers and um, friends of daycare workers. And it, it wasn't... It, and parents were brought into it but it's just so fucking heartbreaking and um i think there's this concept that a man in a ski mask is the enemy a man in a in a cloak holding a pentagram is the enemy but the enemy is at home the the evil is is in honestly everybody and most people most people are good. I think everybody could be good and everybody could be evil, but it's, it's hard to believe. And like, I, I kind of talk about this, um, cause there's just been some times where someone's hurt me and then someone close to me hasn't fully understood it. And they're like, well, they're like a good person. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you're never going to get a straight up fucking Disney villain. Like everybody has some quality that you can point to that was humanizes them. Hitler painted pictures and, and people bring that up just because it, it's weird. Cause you're like, Oh, this evil man like did a human thing. No, fuck him. And I'm not saying there's like a ton of people like rational people. There's no, no, there's no rational people to like defending Hitler. I just, I'm trying to prove a point here. Um, there's just, and like on the TV show made that I was watching, like they really, really let you in to the emotional, life of um her abuser and you see why he wound up that way and where it comes from and you kind of empathize with him and it's hard because it's like it's easier when it's a person in a ski mask but when you see it as a multifaceted human being like it just it freaks you out because you're like anybody could be a child rapist yes anybody could be a child rapist and they don't have to be a satanist to do it and that was the problem here is that any sort of child um, abuse accusations went straight to satanic ritual abuse, which is just not, has not been proven at all. So this ended in a lot of people being imprisoned, a lot of people being pardoned eventually after spending a lot of time in prison and some people dying in prison before their innocence could ever be proven. Um, and just a lot of reputations that got tarnished, like John Popowich, who was completely cleared of all charges after the whole lineup thing in court in Martinsville. Um, he went back to work and he said there were still police officers who thought he did it. Um, and it's, it's kind of easy to be like, wow, the eighties and nineties were crazy with the satanic panic stuff. Right. And it's like, it, it's still, it's still happening. And, um, 
I think that people use real advocacy is really complicated. And I think that it usually, it usually allows, it usually requires allowing the marginalized party to speak for themselves. Um, if you want to really support black people who've dealt with racism or any person of color, you let them talk. A white person should not be doing a fucking seminar on racism. You know, like if, and most likely when I do an episode about that, I'm not going to, I don't, nobody needs to hear what I think about racism other than like, I hate it. And I'm going to try really hard to like work on creating a culture around me and setting an example that we, you know, just aren't fucking racist. Um, but nobody needs to hear me say anything more than that. It's about a black person talking about their experience. And, um, it feels almost like lazy advocacy when you see people who are, just constantly going on about, um, and you know, I'm a really big animal rights person. I've talked about this, but people who are posting the, the PETA shit and throwing blood on, on people and doing all this like shock value shit and not actually accomplishing anything and just being demonstrative. And it's like, well, the easiest person to advocate for is somebody who can't speak for themselves. So an animal and a child, and then you just have all these people and the animal one's kind of a, kind of a, not the perfect example because it's like yes if you talk to a cow the cow would be like yes please don't eat me but it's like it's just like a sort of when you see people who are only advocating for the unborn and animals it's like well what about people people here like what about all of these homeless people what about um you know Vic, like it's just it's so like confusing and convoluted. I'm not doing a good job explaining it because I don't fucking understand it. But this just feels like a lot of people who could so quickly come and be like, fuck Satan. He's ruining our children. And it's like, no, no, a lot of other things are. Um, so there's a lot of this in modern society. And one example, um, when I used to listen to her shit, there's this woman named Teal Swan. And I feel like now that I'm talking about real people, I mean, need to do like some sort of legal disclaimer that these are all just opinions of mine. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know how libel works, but I don't want to deal with it. Um, but Teal Swan said at one point that she was a victim of satanic ritual abuse for her entire life until she was 19 years old. Um, and she said that at one point she was sewn into a corpse by a person in the cult. Um, and she was left there for eight hours and a mortician, she says she was eight years old and a mortician was questioned about this. Several were in this investigative piece I I was reading and they were like, you can't fit an eight year old child into a body. Like no matter how overweight the person was, your rib cage is still like, you have a space of like 18 inches. That's an American girl doll. That's not an eight-year-old child. You cannot fit an eight-year-old child into a corpse. And that was like her big story that she'd always say, like, I was sewn into a corpse. I was sewn into a corpse. Picture an eight-year-old child that you know, and then picture them fitting inside your torso. It's just, it's literally impossible. And she also said a lot of stuff about how she was like a championship skier and she absolutely wasn't. The people on the team were like, yeah, no, she wasn't very good. And she quit. She said she was like training for the Olympics and then said, um, she had this modeling mayhem account that was found. And this is a woman who has like 
millions of followers. For those of you who don't know who Teal Swan is, she's like very new agey crystal bitch. Like, and I'm a new agey crystal bitch, but like she, um, pays for search engine optimization for people who search, um, what to do when you want to kill yourself and all that. And she like preys on those people and it's just, she's just a rather scandalous person to begin with, but she had a model mayhem account and, um, she said she was in this cult all of her life until 19 years old. And, um, in this model mayhem account, she talks about how she was an international model and did runway and she'd been modeling since she was 12 years old and traveling all over the world. And it's like, no, you, you said you were in a cult and you were being sewn into dead bodies and you never saw people and you were like kept in this like completely secluded place. Like when did you have time to go to Bora Bora and Fiji and Paris and, and model? Like it just wasn't always inconsistencies. And so she got really pissed and she like deleted everything and she's just gives all this crazy advice and she's got crazy eyes and I really used to like her stuff. And then I started reading more into her shit and I'm like, this woman is terrifying, but she uses satanic ritual abuse as like a huge part of her platform and her origin story. And it just, it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And then we have, um, probably the most prominent sort of, um, tie into the, uh, satanic panic that, uh, is, is now in modern times. Um, there is a thing called Pizzagate. And uh, this is, I'm just going to read this. Um, it's from a couple different articles from very, um, very like legitimate sources. I really fact checked a lot of stuff. But um, the QAnon story here is that Hillary Clinton and her former campaign chair, John Podesta, ran a child sex ring at the basement of a pizzeria in DC called Comet Ping Pong. Uh, it doesn't have a basement. So let's just start there. This restaurant does not have a basement. There is none. Um, so a man goes in one day and he's really pissed and he thinks that there's like all these children being kept in the basement, being raped by prominent politicians. And he goes in and he shoots up the place. And it all originated with just like weird 4chan sourceless rumors. One of the biggest ones to sort of perpetrate this concept was a white supremacist Twitter account, which used the avatar of a Jewish lawyer in New York. And it pointed to a Facebook post that it had no proof. It said nothing about who they knew. It had said no idea where it was coming from. So it's coming from like an anonymous account that's reposting another anonymous account that said the NYPD confirmed that police had found evidence on former representative Anthony Weiner's devices that the Clinton campaign ran an international child enslavement ring. Again, there's absolutely no evidence for any of this, but the tweet, which is still up quickly got thousands of retreats and favorites. There's it's just, and if this was happening, you think people would be talking about it on their fucking cell phone. I mean, like low level drug dealers have burner phones. Do you think representative Anthony Weiner? I mean, he was really stupid and he sent some like nudes and that was just fucking awkward and embarrassing. But like you think if he's an operating and no, it's not happening in a pizzeria. It's happening on Jeffrey Epstein's Island. Um, and it's like, okay, well then why would people lie about this? Well, this is why people will lie about this because clickbait isn't just, oh, I want people to click on my article. It's like, oh, I'm getting money. So a BuzzFeed investigation found that a lot of the big fake news stories originated from a tiny Macedonian town known as Veles. 
one Macedonian town. <laughs> there, young Macedonians have embraced a digital gold rush by setting up fake news sites and using Facebook as a platform to push their false stories, reaping the advertising dollars that comes with the clicks and sharing. So they'll post something with like a crazy sensational headline being like, Hillary Clinton, child rapist? What does pizza have to do with it? Click here to find out. Like shit like that. And then it gets a ton of shares. Everybody's looking at it and they're clicking it. And it's just these teenagers making money in Macedonia. This shit is like both more complicated and more simple than anybody thinks it is. Um, and so what's really scary is with the QAnon stuff, um, former president Donald Trump was asked about them and he said, I've heard these are people that love our country. So I don't know really anything about it other than they do supposedly like me. If I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. And maybe he didn't know. Maybe he did know what QAnon was and what was talking about, but it's like he gave so much legitimacy to this basementless basement story. And um there's now that like there's this big QAnon theory that Donald Trump is working to ferret out a global satanic pedophilic sex ring, which was secretly supported by elements of the Democratic Party and the deep state within the US government. No, there was Jeffrey Epstein's Island. Like that's the fucking conspiracy here. We all know it. There's evidence. There's dozens of women. And um, I just, I mean, it's just crazy that this is still happening. And it's, it's, a, it's a really hard topic to talk about because all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're talking about something that's critical thinking, 12,000 unsubstantiated claims. No physical evidence of Santanic ritual abuse ever in this story. And... But then it's like, oh, well, you're not believing victims. It's like, no, I, I, I am. And also these kids are victims, but it's like when they become adults, they're like, holy shit, I was totally manipulated by the psycho psychologist. And Michelle Smith was manipulated by her psychologist who ended up marrying her, which is completely against the code of ethics. And she like was kept away from her family and he got a million dollar advance for the book he wrote about her. Um, Mike Warnke made tons of money off of his book and there were all these like 60 minutes specials and Oprah and all of these things. And like people were on the smallest scale, kids were getting positive reinforcement for doing what their parents wanted them to do. And then on the largest scale, the adults that were part of this were getting money to write books about it. And it just 12,000 unsubstantiated claims. I don't know what else you're supposed to say. And like false accusations, take away from legitimate victims it it creates this the boy who cried wolf thing and and i i was talking about um on twitter and this is more just amusing than an actual opinion but i was i, I would like to leave you with this thought it's like after the 1980s and the 1990s where there was so much believe the children and like believe people about this satanic ritual abuse and and just get on board with it and this was such a media firestorm do you think that's maybe why we went through a period of time where victims weren't being believed until the me too breakthrough there was like this period of time where um rape culture just got so out of control and there was no you know harvey weinstein was getting away with it and there was no times up there was no me too and I don't know if it's like a boy who cried wolf thing. I don't know if they're correlated. I just wanted to leave you with that thought. So if you guys have any um, thoughts on this episode, it's probably the most controversial one I've done so far, but 
dive down this rabbit hole. It is crazy. There's some really great podcasts about it. Um, it's one of the most fascinating stories I've ever read, but, um, growing up very Christian, I do know what the, uh, their zeitgeisty devil is, is painted as. And it's just this, you know, you get to, you get to point at that for evil. And, you know, if the pastor gets caught watching porn, oh, the devil did it, not the pastor. And it's like, you have to overcome the devil. It's like, no, you have to not be a fucking creep. Like keep the devil out of it because you're a shithead. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take the devil to make somebody evil. If you're going to abuse a kid, that's you. So we'll leave it there. But thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Kaylee Shore, and this is Too Much to Say. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.